I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is the Nokomoto uh, Podcast, episode number 197, coming to you one week later than we did last week. Uh, hooray! Two episodes <laughs> in two weeks. It's been so long. Uh, you know, we're going to try to keep this up because was it the third week in January was, is like the five year anniversary of the show. I think, does that sound right? Uh, I don't think so. It's the second or the third week next month that it's been five years. I guess 200 episodes would have been like four years. So and we've missed like we've missed a lot. We have missed a lot. So yeah, actually, yeah, you may be right. I think it might be like in February will be the five year anniversary. Uh no, because it was like episode five. We said it was our birthday. Oh, you're right. Uh, uh yeah. She made it was Shit. episode three or something. Anyway. Uh, it won't be on the exact day, but I'm going to try to make it that we're going to try to get these next couple episodes out real quick here. So episode 200 can be as close as possible to the five year anniversary of the show. And remember, if you're at all interested in episode 200, try to remember and come up with episode numbers, titles, or, um, uh, timestamps for your least favorite moments of the show or just the worst moments from the show, the least professional moments from the show. You know, we could, we could have some paper plate awards, you know, like worst interview, worst guest, worst host, worst, <laughs> um, all these things. So we've got that coming up. Let's see here on this episode. We're going to do Best Worst Bike. We finally are, promise, 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 going to do emails. There's a lot of them backed up. And if we've got time after that, I think we're going to go through all of the, what's the right word? Extraneous isn't really the right word. Um, all the excessive pieces of motorcycle tech. And kind of see, like, what are the applications where we might want a self uh, driving bike or, you know, where, where do we actually think having a full TFT infotainment system is applicable, you know, like worthwhile, you know? Um, let's, yeah, let's go with the, let's go with the marketing term. Let's say it's a, a value add, right? When is it a value add? Right. So I guess we just start with best worst bike again, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, here we go. We're going to do best worst bike in the world this week. We've each chosen a motorcycle. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's going to be a surprise. And actually, it's not true because I gave Swigs his best bike this week. But the, I think it's the first time it's ever happened. It is. Um. So, Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. Are you ready to reveal it to the listeners? I am. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is... The 2006 Ducati 749. I love this bike. I've been a bigger fan of the 999, 
But recently, uh, market situations and really kind of taking a deeper look at the numbers on this, uh, yeah, more and more, I'm kind of becoming a fan of the baby Ducatis. Now, you did suggest this bike to me, but this is a bike that I've been in love with for being such an ugly, uh, such an abused, ugly duckling for so long, but being so wonderfully weird. Yeah, yeah. It's like, because, you know, we were both big fans of the 999, and yes, it was a very, a very polarizing bike, but then you go to the 749, and it's far more, it's not even polarizing, it's just straight up unpopular. But when you actually look at the numbers, this is a really, really compelling option. Right. For one thing, these are still you know, mid-2000s Ducatis that were very much loved and generally kept in good condition. It's a very nice, classic, uh, full kind of, you know, two-piece fairing that is absolutely gorgeous when the paint's in good condition. Just... I mean, there's some. There are so many fairing. There, there are so many fully fared sport bikes you can get that are still like budget bikes that are six fifties, that are, or even a lot of seven fifties, that are, you know the fairing is in eight parts because it's actually just easier to do smaller casts of plastic. But this is like full on race, like premium fairings on this bike. When you then get to the specs. So this is 106 horsepower at the crank at 10,000 RPM, 62 foot pounds of torque at the crank. It reads, it's one of those things. I've seen everything from 57 to 65. Mm -hmm. I just, just go with 60. It is an even number. Yeah. So 60 foot pounds of torque. So this is essentially kind of, this is reasonably close to a modern super sport, but in fact, the best way to put this is that if you want a super hawk with a bit of zazz, you know, that's essentially what this is. It is about 10 foot pounds of torque less than a super hawk. It is a okay, it's a little bit less, but it's it's close. But it's got a higher RP uh, top RPM, which is yeah. super cool. But what it also has is about a four inch shorter wheelbase. Yes. This is this is a race bike. This is I mean this this has the profile of a race bike. It's not gigantic like the Futura or a Super Hawk where it's just got that really long wheelbase and you lose a little bit of your turning radius and it's not quite as nimble where it's kind of a little bit more of a touring size trying to get that V-twin in there. With the L20 and this, they do really get it short because you know, it's based off the 999. They just shrunk it down. A lot of people think that really the 999 was kind of based on this, actually, because uh, people that were racing these, you know, in a flat out drag race, uh, you know, this was up against, um, you know, uh, Jixer 600s, really. And those SRADs were just destroying this thing left and right on straights and everything. 
but powering out of corners and all that kind of stuff. This was fairly competitive. And a lot of people said the way that this made power, it was better for the chassis than the 999. The ni Although the 999 was a very successful race bike, people thought this was a better balanced package, supposedly. That's that's what I've read in little pockets of the internet, that, that this was kind of a cult classic amongst racers. But because it was the baby Ducati, it was never going to really, you know, take off. I think what's cool about this is in our post-horsepower age and since sport bike elitism has really fallen off a cliff, this bike has never been cooler. All the moto journalists that hated this because it wasn't the 916 bodywork are, are just fat and riding adventure bikes now, and they, they don't give a shit. So everyone who's putting eyes on this is really kind of putting eyes on it for the first time and not seeing it as necessarily having to be compared to the Ducati 916. So there's a lot more love for the looks, but there's also a lot more love for the displacement. It's all about 700 twin sport bikes right now. And what yeah. is this? Well, yeah, uh, I guess, yeah, if you compare this to like the R7 or if you compare this to the... Um the the Aprilia 660 the Aprilia 660 uh well there's the new Honda Hornet there's also the uh the Honda Hawk there's the Hawk uh what's the Suzuki Suzuki's doing yeah. an 8 well there's which I love yeah that's good but like even like against like the SV650 like it's all kind of in that class again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Middleweight road racers, kind of mm -hmm. naked or fared, or yeah, exactly. So, but now everyone yeah, else the, is running. The category is but now never everyone. Been cooler. But now that everyone's running, um, is running parallel twins. It's like, hey, pick yourself up a classic L twin. Exactly. Now, now it's classy, even if it isn't as powerful as a completely juiced up ninja 650 like with a full top end rebuild running you know three or four more um uh you know running like 13 to 1 compression or anything absurd right it's still really fucking cool and it's yeah on a sport bike cheap. 60 foot pounds of torque is nothing to put your nose up you know because your average 600 inline four, say like, you know, Ninja 600 or um, CBR 600 double R or R6 is going to be running uh, 39 to 42 foot pounds of torque, right? Yeah. And but they're just banking yes, on the fact your, that... Your one liter inline fours are going to be 80, 82, somewhere up in there. This yeah. is right in the middle, but it's still... This is going to this is gonna kick you in the pants under your seat when you really crack the throttle still. It's going to be good. Mm -hmm. Definitely a lot more than that R7. Yeah. So, yeah, the power's never been cooler. The category's never been cooler. The... Um, the I think the styling's never been cooler, the, and we have to finally get to the used market price. Now you will find R versions of this for like ten or twelve thousand dollars, but the regular S version, 
uh, reasonable. Like you can find them six, seven thousand dollars, whatever you know. Like in an age where bike prices make no sense, you can kind of find one of these because I, it, it's not yet been fully realized to jump on these. You know, um, uh, yeah, I. You know, and it's definitely a modern sport bike in, you know, the, the tire profiles, in the brakes, in the fuel injection, in all the stuff. Like, yes, it's from, yes, it's it's 17 years old, but we haven't really come, we haven't come anywhere near as far from 2006 to today as we did, say, from 1990 to 2006. Yeah. Well, one styling element that it does have <clears throat> that I have that has really grown on me, and it's something that all of the Ducati SS models had, is, and especially in the last generation of Ducatis, is the, is the exposed, like, skinny trellis frame. Yeah. It's... It's such a, it's a really, it's it's just a fantastic little design piece where it's like, you know, we, we could have just gone the 90s style and completely covered this up and made it look like a really fancy kitchen appliance. But no, we, we've got to save weight. We've got to, it, it's all on display because there's no other way to build it the way that we needed to perform. It's I'll tell you what else I love about the Ducati 749 is that because it's not the big one liter, you know, super sport bike that, um, or not super sport, but like a super bike because it's not the flagship model. These are a lot easier to own emotionally in like black or yellow or, or whatever other colors you don't have to have the red one i personally think the 749 in yellow is great well whereas I think if, you, if you got a 999 in yellow you'd be like oh, i kind of wish it was red yeah right yeah. but but the yeah. but the baby ducati lets you be a little sillier with it i think and i'm because it's not so precious, right? We need a lot more green, yellow, and purple sport bikes. We really do. <sighs> well, the 90s kind of went overboard with purple. I didn't think so, but everyone else did. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I mean, D Ducati's just always going to do single solid colors, and that's just their thing. But they did this in a really great yellow. I'm fine with single colors. I just don't want every single fucking vehicle on the road to be red, blue, white, or black. Let's be. Let's and of that, eighty percent of it's still white. Yeah. Yeah. Let Let's have a little bit more creativity on the road. Yeah. Well, we've all, we've all, we've said you know any Italian bike or not should just be an Italian flag colors too. Oh yeah, um, it's always acceptable. Um, I'm good. Uh, you know what? I'm also always good with a red, white, and blue paint scheme. Always. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, 
the 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 Ducati seven four nine. Like, check your Craigslist. Put it on your radar. And you know, I want to say this too. If the big thing that kept you away from the Ducati seven four nine or the nine 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 was the headlights, there's a fix for that now. Oh yes, you can buy an aftermarket kit. So you replace the upper part of the fairing, which is just the the face of the bike. And it takes it from the two headlights to just the lower headlight. And then you replace that with a high beam, low beam unit. And honestly, it takes it from looking like a bike from 2006 to looking like a bike from 2024. It's It makes the whole bike super it really just that updates the look me personally i'm such a nerd for stock i'm gonna go for the original you know up and down headlights every single time and i'm not gonna apologize for it but i will say the 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 um, aftermarket fairing does it's kind of it sort of goes for like the uh has a very modern yamaha look to it well, it's actually kind of more like the, um, it's like a weird cross between like a combined Buell headlight and like a new scooter headlight. Huh. It's maybe, maybe, I don't know. Um, yeah, but uh, again, uh, 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 at, at making about a hundred horsepower at the back wheel, and with yeah 60 horsepower at the crank so you know 55 at the back wheel or something like that so yeah you're not going to notice a lack of power with this bike with those horsepower and torque numbers and i honestly think i really do think the styling holds up on this with how wacky a lot of motorcycle styling has been i think you can very very easily sort of look at the tail of this bike, the tank, the fairing and everything and sort of go, yeah, this is modern stuff. And doubly so if you're going to, if you're going to do that, that headlight update, then the whole face of the bike looks modern as well. There's, there's nothing about this. I, I I don't, I, I could, I could not come up with a compelling reason to buy a modern, 600 or 700 twin instead of one of these personally so there we go all right are we ready to move on to worst bike in the world this week uh, i think so okay here it comes and the worst bike in the world this week is the 2024 moto 2 bike do you have any guesses why swigs I don't. I I haven't heard anything about this. Is it still a Triumph? Yes. Mm. It's still the 765. I don't know. I, I have known nothing about this. They're going to run it off ethanol. Okay. Um, They're going to put E40 in it to reduce CO2 emissions in Moto2. 
have they increased the engine With allowance? Further for aims this? to reach an E100 blend by 2027. We all know this doesn't work, right? Like that this I, isn't environmentally friendly. Exactly. It does. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. So, and, and then they say, "Oh," and they're also going to make sure that this technology trickles down to the street triple derived seven six five, and this will ensure that the new fuel will see no drop in performance or speed. This is all bullshit. Well, that's a straight up lie. You've I got, know. By weight, you've got. Less less energy density. You've got like, at least what, 10% less power right the, off the bat. Yeah, are they are they gonna make a perpetual motion machine while they're at it? I uh, but yeah, what, it, that's uh this is all lies. It's first of all, these people do what we're talking about didn't we figure that um uh, a moto two or GP bike goes somewhere around it's like a Moto GP bike does something like one thousand miles a season. Uh, no, it's one thousand miles an engine, so it's like six thousand miles. It's like a season. five. It's like five hundred to a thousand miles an engine. It's something like that. Yeah, right. And uh, no, it was about a thousand miles per engine. Mm, maybe on average. Uh, yeah, yeah maybe, on average, maybe, we figured yeah. that out once. Uh, you know, take that like, you know, five or six engines per season, right? So let's take 20 bikes at 5,000 miles per year, right? How much, uh, what is that? Um, why can't I do basic math? I mean, I've been drinking, but, um, what's 20 times five? Holy shit. It's a hundred, right? So this is 100,000 miles a year, right? Uh... If you're trying to reduce CO2 emissions, this is, I'm not kidding, the least efficient place to try to cut emissions. Your local go-kart track is putting more CO2 into the air, right? Yeah, like fixing... Straight up cleaning the, the air intake... Of, of a semi-truck may do more to reduce emissions than doing this for an entire Moto2 team. And correct me if I'm wrong, but don't all the pumps have fucking corn syrup in them already anyway? Yeah, are we all? Yeah, we're all running E10 already. Some places, like in California, I believe you can get E15 right now. If... Yep. That floats your boat. Yeah. So they're trying to do like an all ethanol. But here's the thing. If but you haven't there... seen... Swigs, explain to people the engineering explained video on this. Okay. So essentially, somebody has finally done... You know, this is essentially the equivalent of like an epidemia... Epidemiologist. Epidemiologist. An epidemiologist. Epidemiological um, study of, you know, all things combined, like what, when we add up all the different factors, is, um, is ethanol actually good for the environment? 
And the end result was essentially no. In fact, it was a net negative. Yeah, at best, it's a push. At best. Yes, because once, yes, okay, you know, using ethanol, it's like, okay, well, we're pulling carbon from the atmosphere, so we're using the sun to power this whole operation, so it's going to work out, right? It's definitely going to be more environmentally friendly. But when you factor in, like, the the soil erosion and pulling the nitrogen out of the soil, the amount of um, green space that was uh, destroyed to make up the additional farmland to create the demand to grow more corn to turn into ethanol, when you take into effect um, the losses in distilling that into alcohol, when you take into the fact when you take into effect the um, moving it all around on trucks that are all burning diesel, when you put it all together, like it's straight up worse than pulling crude oil out of the ground. So really, this isn't a great idea at all. This is, this is actually doing more harm than good, which is not uncommon, but there you go. Yeah. Essentially, there is absolutely no way in which Doing this other than buying some sort of weird flex fuel flex fuel vehicle, growing corn on your own land, and mashing your own corn to make some weird like moonshine style ethanol that you're gonna then pour directly into the da- the gas tank of your car, it will not work. It is not a good idea. Right, so this is all just a smoke and mirrors thing by Moto2 to be like, hey, look, I know that it's all about electric and fuel, like, uh, internal combustion engines aren't real cool right now, but we're trying to advertise and we don't want to have the stench of energy-rich fuel on us. So look, we're... We're putting ethanol in, says Hooray. the traveling motorsport, the yeah. international traveling motorsport. Yeah, <laughs> they must use more fuel just getting from Tokyo. Uh, get, they must spend more fuel getting from the Philippines back to Valencia than they do running all of the bikes combined all season. Oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, this is completely meaningless. Even just going from Argentina, you know, to Texas, air shipping every single bike and every single member of the crew, getting an, uh, a new semi and just getting down from the airport to the track blows out the entire season of every practice session qualifying session and race for all classes across the whole year i mean just one team all that air travel and all that shipping all that equipment might be more than all the bikes fuel for the season yeah and again this doesn't trickle down to less emissions uh engines for our uh our consumer bikes because we're already using ethanol fuel. Okay. And as we just explained, it is not better for CO2 emissions. It's just not. And on top of that, their whole thing where they say, Oh, we won't lose any performance uh, or drops in speed. Yes, you will, because it's less energy dense fuel. 
You cannot make as much power from it. Cannot do it. Not possible. It doesn't make as big a bang. It's that simple. Yeah, thermodynamics is very much standing in the way of that argument. So hopefully this is just a new story. It's just something they announced and they're not actually going to go through with. I hope. Uh, uh, yeah, I I can only hope, but we'll see what happens. But it's complete bullshit. It doesn't make any sense. It's total lies. And you shouldn't put any stock in it. You shouldn't believe it. You shouldn't care. Because it's not real. That That's it. I mean, it's so ridiculous that it would have actually been way cooler if they just announced that they were going to 900cc diesels. I would genuinely be a lot more excited for that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, all right. I think we did pretty good there. Uh, so I want to mention something we are, I want to thank all of our Patreon members for really sticking with us through these last few months where we've been doing less frequent episodes. And I want to tell everybody that pretty soon we're going to start putting some ads up, not in the show, but ads for our show. We're going to experiment with spending a little Patreon money to, create an ad to play on other shows to try to promote the show a little bit because you guys do a great job of telling your friends and and the show's always very slowly growing through word of mouth but we really i don't know we're just going to experiment with this so if anybody just wants to make like a one-time hundred dollar donation that would pay for our first experimental ad i don't expect anyone to actually do this but it would be pretty fucking cool or if someone wants to up their donation to to pay. Because if it works, we'll do it a little bit more. And also, now that we really do have two legitimate studios, some of our equipment has broken, and we need to spend some Patreon money on replacing some XLR cables, some power cables. Uh, one of the mics broke. Um, what else? There's other stuff. We always need more SD cards. There's things, all right? So just just throwing it out there. Uh, next thing, Swigs, uh, emails. Do you have them brought up? Uh, not all of them, but we can do some now. Let's do some emails. The people deserve it. They need their voices heard. Okay, let me get to... The first one. Oh. So. Is this the most recent or the furthest one back you can find that we haven't read? This is the furthest one back. Okay. So this is from. <laughs> August. Uh, July. Oh my God. We're <laughs> such assholes. Okay. Okay. Uh, so this is a recommendation that. Is this from Eric? who is uh, making a recommendation. So this is when we uh, announced that my scooter was stolen. Oh, right. And he was saying, uh, I should consider a 1980s Honda Helix. That was on the list. I suggested that too. And 
uh, yeah, I may do it at some points. That's it's it is kind of. I would go for the two fifty helix though, because again, we still haven't gone maxi scooter. Oh no, he said two fifty. Yeah. Oh, uh, what a, a man from by my by my own heart. Yeah. And it may be it may be an option at some point. I would prefer the. Uh, I don't know it. The Honda Helix is now kind of getting old enough that it is becoming a classic. Or you could put a fucking collector plate on it if it's from 1982. Yeah, it's true. But I don't know. The the Helix has been going for so long. From 1992. The Helix has been going for so long that it's kind of. What do you mean? It was replaced by the Forzas years ago. Yeah, but it went for so. It's one of those bikes that was just kind of so good that it didn't seem weird enough to be cool. It. Oh, I think they're solidly weird enough now. Yeah. They, yeah, they are now. No one knows what they are anymore. The styling's strange with just the flat fronts on them. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, for a long time, though, for me, like the Helix was just kind of like, oh, a Helix? Boring. Uh, whatever. Now it, it's starting to get a little bit cooler. Was it the 150 with the flip-up headlight, or was it a 125? I want to say it was a 150. Uh, no, that was the, that wasn't the Helix, that was the... No, there's a Helix that has a flip-up headlight. Oh, there is. Yeah, but it's not the 250, it's like the mid-range. There's the 80, there's like a 150, and there's a 250. I mean, I'm a sucker for anything with a flip-up headlight. I know. But again, I, I the they are the hardest ones to find. You'll find the 80s all day. And and they're good, they're fine, but the the two fifty is really the original maxi scooter. You know how like the Renault Espace is kind of like the first European minivan. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's a distinctive title that no one cares about, right? The the, the <laughs> Honda two fifty is the first maxi scooter. It's it's a it's a it's a crown that. People throw around like a hot potato. No one really wants to claim it, but I think it's prestigious. <laughs> so yeah, just saying. <laughs> God, I hate the Renault Espace. The the my big problem with the Renault Espace is they have like a weird smell, and and that smell always made me carsick. There's something about that Renault cloth interior from that time that I just can't deal with. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. By contrast, I think um those those Honda scooters from that that era had an especially durable seat cover that's like a weird sort of super thick pleather that is just almost it's like shark skin. It's nearly impenetrable. All right, <laughs> but yeah so i mean yeah i highlight I, yeah you should still well what uh i mean the listeners have heard since we haven't talked about it for a while we should we should mention what you did buy to replace the the vespa oh so i made a very proportional choice and uh no we've mentioned it briefly for like three minutes 
Well, technically, I've bought two bikes since. Oh, that's rough. Uh, did, has it been two bikes since? No, you got the Valkyrie before we went to to Mid Ohio. Oh yeah, no, yes, I did. Um, I think it was slightly before the the other one got stolen. Uh, oh no, but yeah, I did buy the. Well, we also mentioned the C the CL seventy. Okay, very briefly. Okay, yeah. yes, but yes, I yeah, I bought a, I did buy a CL seventy, which is all, still not registered. I need to get around to that. <laughs> That's going to happen in the spring when I have time. Um, yep. Did I mention I bought a house and got a puppy? <laughs> I, my schedule is full for a while. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, I, yeah, I bought a CL70, which is my current replacement. It's going to be my little scoot around town bike for quite a while. It needs a luggage rack and a milk crate pretty hard. It does. Fuck! I'll I'll put a ba- I'll put a basket on it. You should put a basket on it. I support that big time. Okay. Um. Uh. Yeah. I guess in other sort of scooter news, my my Lambretta is now being displayed proudly in a local Italian restaurant. That's its winter home now. For- <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen it. So so we got this uh, this local restaurant, Pellegrini's. It was absolutely top-notch. Wonderful place. Can't say enough great things about it. And uh, me, me and Carlo, the owner, have been friends for a while. And uh, I just brought it by the other day. And, um, oh, my God. You should- Carlo was so over the moon about this i just rolled it in through the front door and I mean, he got down on his knees and was like putting his hands on it and i just heard him whisper to himself he's just like bella <laughs> he's just all about this scooter so great and then because like this is a real fucking italian restaurant like he just had like another random italian dude there and he was like you need to get up get up, get up. you gotta come see this you gotta come see this oh it was wonderful all right next email we gotta, we gotta, not necessarily bang through them. We need to give them the time they deserve, especially since they've been waiting six fucking months to hear their emails. But all right, so next email is from Tom, and uh, oh, sorry, not Tom, Antonio, uh, and he says, "Hey guys, uh, this soon needs some context. Love the new game." Just a quick note on the cup holder. Swiggy forgot to say that if you have a cup holder on a Harley, it means you have your own milk frother and can make a cappuccino on the go. So oh, this is from our defend. This is from our uh, MCLU. Yeah, from the MCLU, which you should probably describe. Well, it's the Motorcycle Civil Liberties Union, which is where <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. we trap we we uh, the game where we challenge each other to defend the most indefensible things in motorcycling which i forgot to mention this at the top of the episode on episode 200 we're going to play all of the games every game that we've ever done we're going to do all the games for episode 200 on top of people sending in their worst moments of the show so yeah if you have horrible motorcycle ideas that you want people to defend if you've got either specific names or categories for made up motorcycle that you want uh, people to come up with. Uh, That's good. It should be all like listener generated 
listener generated names, subjects, topics for us to do the games on for episode 200. That's a good one too. Yeah. That's also a lot easier than people looking up episodes and timestamps. That we'll probably get more buy-in with this idea. (laughs) Cause I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners are just as lazy as we are. So yeah. And I get that. I get that. And I respect it. So, okay. So anyway, uh, so yeah. milk frothers. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's a solid point. It is. You know, in fact, you could really, you could really just put like a, um, like a, you could just coil a spring around the bottom of, a the cup hold of a, of a cup and just put it in and you really do have a milk frother. It's true. I have to reveal a deep, dark secret on the show. Uh, I'm a milk frother guy. I, I have one, um, but I don't use it to froth milk. I use it to aerate my coffee, which I think is a very underrated use of the milk frother. So you're well. Now th- this this this, work, this works in your favor. You're you're a guy not willing to deal with an aeropress. Right. Yeah, I brew my coffee like a normal fucking human being and a Mister Coffee. But then what I do is I, I pour in heavy cream because I'm a fucking man, right? None of this fucking half and half bullshit. None of this skim milk fairy nonsense. Put in heavy cream. And then I hit it with the frother and you just whip in a bunch of air, right? It's kind of like pouring your wine through like the aerator, right? It's, it's just a lot better. It's just better, right? It's like putting a little water in your whiskey. Makes it a shit ton better, you know? But I, I feel like there's a lot of dudes out there that feel insecure with the coffee frother. They're like, what's this dainty Starbucks bullshit? Well, actually, it's, it has a really good, like, you only need it for, like, three or four seconds. Run it through the thing. Your coffee's, like, 20% better. I promise you. Now, I'm not going to... I I... I I still am, like, firmly against... Was it you or me that had to defend cup holders i think i challenged you to defend motorcycle cup holders no you gave you gave me cup holders to defend right right after i gave you get back whips oh yeah that was those are two <laughs> particularly tough rounds that was not easy yeah i was like yeah i was gonna go easy and save it for a different game i think and i was like fuck it you gave me get back whips no mercy you, uh, <laughs> yeah I think ultimately you said something like, look, another place to just like hold a bottle of water till your next destination isn't entirely a bad thing or something like that. Or maybe like when you're standing in the parking lot, it's not that bad to just have a place to put your drink that's not on the seat. I can't remember. I was really drunk at the time. I, you came up with something that like sounded okay. I, I That game surprised me from both of us. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing that again. All right, next email. All right. This is from uh, Leon, who is a Patreon member, who said, Hey, guys, just a quick one. A friend of mine just asked me about the Husqvarna Vitvillain 401. Uh, A marvelous bike. You should never have any other opinion than that. Um, yeah, and this was about five months ago, so I don't know how... Episode 10's Best Bike in the World, I think? 
It was 10 or 11. Yeah, it was really early on. It was the first episode Dr. Mike was on. I don't know why I remember that so much, that episode, but... Well, that was a weird one where we were filming in the basement at our parents' place. That's true. And uh, we also did the, the diesel bike on that one. We did with the, the TRK 701 or whatever it's Seven called. something, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and he says, I do remember sort of you guys talk about it from time to time. Any insights you could weigh in on in relation to getting one? Let me know if you need more context. Also, just started the latest episode. I'm only 10 minutes in. Can't wait to hear the mum section. Also, great to hear Dr. Mike back in the mix. Chat to you soon. Uh, so, the Husqvarna Vitpillin is uh, not an actual Swedish Husqvarna, but it is part of the... Um, it's a KTM. It's, 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 it's a in, KTM 390. Yeah, it's in the KTM family. It's the KTM 390 with a different frame and is it a different frame it's different than the rc390 i believe it's a it's a different frame okay well that makes it way more legit then yeah yeah with uh, a very different well with a very different subframe a very hipster seat um styling that kind of still holds up to today like five years later is really still kind of very modern yeah, it's it's kind of it's like it's 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 somewhere between like it's somewhere between like a hyper naked and a cafe racer in terms of its styling. Uh, but I will say that the Vitpillin four hundred one is one of my top three test rides I've ever done. I had mm. immense fun with it. I I. I would own one it is one of my is one of the best calls I ever made. And, and I looked at the numbers. I looked at the frame. I looked at and all sorts of things. And I just before I even rode one, just declared hardcore five years ago. This is a great bike. This is a great bike for new riders. This is a great bike for experienced riders that want something zippy for in town. This has great styling. This is a great price point. This probably has great quality if you and which that's held up as well. And yeah, it just I, I, I there's no downside. Yeah, it is basically the RC 390 as a naked hipster bike as a like a kind yeah. of cafe racer style. But because it's not doing a hardcore sort of triumph British throwback thing because it's not doing a Honda rebel thing because it's just doing its own very natural Euro thing. Uh, there's no stigma to it. You're not a douchebag for riding a 401 vit pillin, right? There's yeah. no stigma to it. It's yeah, if just, you want it to... just gets to be a fun little bike that everybody loves. And I defy you to find a bad review. They don't exist. Everybody that rides one has a blast. Yeah, the only the only negative thing that somebody might say about it is it may it may not be for you. But it, the it, value proposition for a premium European brand is fantastic. I agree. I, I would never steer someone against one. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe if you live in Montana and your nearest KTM Husqvarna dealer is 400 miles away you might 
but okay. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah, yeah. If if you cattle got- farmers are not the target demo, this is true. So. <laughs> there we go. All right, next email. There All must right. be more. Uh, okay, so this is from Logan, and he says, Hey, Murdo, G. Pete, and Swiggy, I have been listening to every one of your episodes for the past few months and have... What a hero. love hearing the best and worst bikes of the week. For the past few months, I have been looking for a new bike and have, been, have two in mind. The 2011 to 2022 GSXR 750 and oh. the 2019 to 2022 ZX6R. My first bike was a 2012 Yamaha FZ6R, which I rode for two years and currently own a Yamaha 20, uh, 2014 Yamaha FZ09, which I've owned for around three years and wrecked last December after it had been sitting for a year because of a blown clutch. I am currently riding my... Uh, it says France's, but I'm going to guess this is fiance's, uh, 2022 Z400. Although it is a great bike, I miss the clinch factor and I'm asking you for help. What is the best choice between both of these bikes for a 20 year old that is good for the mountains here in Chattanooga, Tennessee? Also, I am only on episode 80 and was curious if y'all had ever done a best worst bike on the Amazon FC09 as I am truly in love with this motorcycle for the pure stupidity of it. Hope y'all are having another uh, one of your many days of sunshine in Northern Colorado and am trying not to listen ahead and spoil the podcast but I am interested in your take on the Yamaha R9 concept and whether you think it would be a good bike or not. Much love from Tennessee if you're ever riding in the Tail of the Dragon let me know. I'd be happy to meet you all out there and ride. Okay. Yeah, so there. So between the 2011 to 22 GSXR 750 and the 2019 to 2022 ZX6R. Well, so, the Jixer 750 is a perfect bike. Uh, it, it, you know, it's like RoboCop, right? Some people don't get it, but if you get it. It's a perfect bike, right? Like, if you get RoboCop, you know, if you actually give it the time it's worth, it's a perfect movie. Yes. And, but it's easy to dismiss it. It's easy to dismiss the Jixer 750, but if you get it, it is a perfect bike. It, it, it hits it. It's like, oh, yeah, let's put a shit ton of cylinders on a 750 displacement. Let's give it all the suspension it deserves. Let's give it all of the everything, the tires, the setup, everything it deserves. And yeah. Um, it's a bit of a cult bike. It's weird because, you know, it's it's kind of hard to race one against people, you know, but like I most will people say... aren't really in it for that. It depends kind of what Farkles you're going for because like up until like, I, d- I don't know when they got the current models out, but like even up until like 2017, 2018, like the Jixer 750 still had dual analog gauges, 
They're just like, I, I think that's a plus. We're the only weirdos running this insane class of bike that has no racing application whatsoever for all the fucking weirdos who still want this, who want the absurd power at this price point, because that's all it is. It's just power per dollar is really all you're going after at that point. I, to, to be fair to Suzuki, they refined the format, the platform as far as you could. It's not like yeah. it was still carbureted, right? It's no. not like it was it was like still running, you know, smaller forks. It's not like it didn't have the best brakes available. It's not like it, you know, like it 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 got everything that the Jixer 1000 and the 600 got except for maybe a digital display. Right? Um Yeah. No, I'm a big fan of the Jixer 750 and I'd be curious to own one one day. Um, you've got much more experience with it. Well, not a lot more, but you've experienced with a very modern one because you rode like a 2019 one. Uh, I can't remember if it was a 2017 or 2018. It was quite a while okay. ago. But essentially the, the bike he's talking about and you were like, oh my God, it's like, it's only 750 and it's too much bike. Yeah, it's... It... Yeah, it it's it's way too much, but it's so like even even compared to an FCO nine, just the you may think like oh going from an FCO nine to a GSXR seven fifty seems like a pretty smooth transition because you know it's a four cylinder but it's a smaller displacement and it'll, it you know I've already ridden a nine hundred triple with similar power so it'll just feel good right no. The Jixer 750 is a no-compromise race bike. You are just, like, perched like a frog on top of that tank, and you are so confined, and that first gear will take you all the way up to 60, 65 miles an hour. The gearing is insane. The motor revs so much higher. It is... You're not just getting that that clutch factor, that little that that really big hit of power right when you want it. You are winding it up. And to a degree it's gonna still happen. That's a same a similar thing with the ZX6R. And I, I think you probably need to test ride a few things because it's not gonna give you the wide power band and the forgiveness that a big nine hundred triple will it's going to be a very different experience and it's going to push it way more to the extreme. He said he wants that clinch factor. So, you know, a lot of people would look at the other things he said in this email and go, well, wait a minute, you crashed these other bikes. Maybe you need to get something a little bit more responsible. I'm going to say, fuck it. No, you need the Jixer 750, bro. You need it. I, Okay, you might hurt yourself, but you know what? You're a grown-up. You can make your own decisions. This is the kind of podcast that has the balls to tell you to buy a Jixer 750. And fuck what your fiancé says about it, all right? That bitch has been nagging you about all kinds of bullshit for years, and you need to do something for you, all right? So tell her it's you or the bike, and you're going to get a Jixer fucking 750, so she better get on the right side of things, okay? Yeah, why not? Yeah. 
It's a perfect bike. Yeah. Go full RoboCop, bro. Get the get the Jixi 750. You know you want it. It's by far the most exciting bike that you listed. Yeah, it's more exciting than anything you've had before. I think it's more exciting than the MT-09, just, just because of the revs. Uh, the triple's cool and the torque is cool, but the 750's got butt kick and torque, too. You're good. Get the Jixer 750. Go full Jixer, bro. Yeah, you know, you, sometimes you've got to go full Jixer, bro. And I think it also I think just go he needs a little to. older and get an S Rad as well. I would, if I was going to get a Jixer 750, I'd get an S Rad um, just because I like the styling. Be- you know, because it's a little bi moda ish and it's, it's from that era. But I mean, it's not like it's uh, it's not like the two thousand, the you know the 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 later the the teen, the teen Jixer seven fifties aren't also forced ram air induction like the S rads are, right? Mm. Uh, that they're all S rads. It's just they used to be called S Rads because that's when they were branding the 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 Ram Air ducks. That's it. It's not like they got rid of the Ram Air. Okay, they're all really S Rads. But I like the S Rads for the styling. So that's the Jixer Seven Fifty I, I would get. I just love the absurdity of just corrugated hosing over the dash into the tank. Oh no, that's yeah, that's um. That was uh that wasn't on the on the the S Rads. That was on the um the ZX sevens. That was on that was a Kawasaki oh, right, thing. Right, yeah, yeah. Oh you're right, yes it was. But go ahead and feel free to just glue weird weird <laughs> piping weird corrugated hosing to your to your <laughs> to you're your right, seven fifty. Right. I approve. Um yeah. Uh, or just get a ZX seven. Why not? Yeah. Well, I guess we're, we're getting they're a little loud, down yeah. on the power as compared to a 2011 on Jixer 750, but I mean, they're still cool. They are. Phil mm-hmm. hates them, but that's fine. All right. Next email. All right. So now we've got uh greetings, gentlemen. The show continues to impress. Who is this from? Uh, this is from Matthew. Oh, uh, is it serial e- emailer Matthew? Uh, no. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. It's been a long time. I'll recognize his tone. Just keep going. It says, greetings, gentlemen. The show continues to impress and entertain. Dirt Bike Kid commentary was simply epic. I would point you to a quick but amazing scene in the movie, Cleopatra Jones, that you should... Or, uh, yeah. I would point you to a quick but amazing scene in the movie, Cleopatra Jones, that you should check out. She gets on an early 70s dirt bike and does a sick hill climb. I believe you can get it on Prime. I also want to answer a question that I'm sure must have been on your minds. Where does one go after a fully mixed out DR650? Oh, yes. This is the man with the million dollar DR650. The Dior 650. <laughs> the Dior 650. <laughs> and he says, there is only one answer, and it's simply 2022 Ducati Hypermotard SP950. It says it is everything you need in a third or fourth bike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I cannot fault that logic. Yep, yep. <laughs> I know your feelings on the subject, but hear me out. It has sport bike power, 
breaking and cornering in an absolutely comfortable posture. Getting the SB gives premium Ducati appointments at a lower price point for the brand. You get such classic Ducati sexiness like a trellis frame, L-twin, single-sided swing arm, uh, Marchesini forged wheels, Olin uh, suspension, uh, and the red and white racing livery. It really does fit in the stable along with the DR. Uh, Tiger 800 XCA and my wife's Vespa GTS 300. So if you're looking for an additional bike and just want its main purpose to be making you smile, the Hyper Motard SP is hard to top. All the best, Matt. I can't fault any of that. I, I mean, it's really, it's also really hard to argue with a man that's thrown that much money into a DR650. <laughs> this is, this is someone with blinders on that that cannot be told no. And I'm going to have to just respect that. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter if it makes sense. You're just driven. And yeah, uh, <laughs> he got everything he wanted. Third or possibly fourth bike. Yeah. You know, you're right. You're right. Uh, uh, yeah. If you, you know, I was saying uh, last week that I keep getting bikes that are just have like worse and worse handling just because and yeah sometimes yeah you just need to go dumber Uh, i get that i i totally get that that that's a legitimate direction and and he's right he's absolutely right yeah i wish i had a clever rebuttal but i i just don't i i gotta call him like i see him and he's right the, the Ducati Hyper Motard, as of right now, is officially the best third or fourth bike. I can't <laughs> fault that at all. I mean, it's a terrible first bike to own, but um, but yeah, but as a third or fourth, sure, I'm going to give it to you. That Yeah. You I don't go. know if we're smarter or dumber, but we now know this. <laughs> okay. Oh, geez. How many more emails have we got? Uh, a lot. That's just the ones that I've grabbed. We're only like two thirds through August. So. Holy shit! All um, right, let's do some more. Like, what? Do we should take a break. Okay, I gotta, I gotta pull them up. All right, let's take a little bit of a break, and then we'll be actually. Let's take a break. Let's do our topic, and let's do some more emails, and then we'll try to get them because it sounds like there's another hour's worth of emails. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Let's take a a quick. <laughs> Okay, and we're back. You might hear some dog noises in the middle of this, and it's because we're beating puppies. So don't worry. All right, now, uh, Swigs, we've hit some emails. We'll do some more emails in a minute when we got, uh, you know, when we've worked through a little bit more content. But we can't just do emails and just do Best Worst Bike. It's not a Nokomoto episode if we don't have a weird topic. So... I saw an article earlier today about a Kawasaki self-balancing bike system. And I thought, you know, we really need to just walk through. Because at this point, there's a lot of just extremely auxiliary motorcycle uh, systems, right? Whether it's the the Harley-Davidson Hill Start whether it's reverse gear 
or an airbag on a gold wing, whether it's ABS, whether it's traction control, whether it's a full infotainment system, whether it's just speakers, anything that requires a circuit, an, an extra circuit board, an extra chip, an extra computer, an extra motor on a bike. At what point is it worth it? You know, a lot, every time I see an article for some sort of new extra motorcycle system, people go, well, we didn't need this back in the day. Well, we didn't need fuel injection back in the day, but it turns out fuel injection's pretty awesome, right? So as we discussed it, a lot of these systems do have a moment at which they are pretty much worth it. But maybe not so for every single bike or every single situation. So let's walk through some of these, right? So let's go with ABS to start with. This is something I think a lot of people can be on board with. ABS, I you know, uh, I guess to set the table, when we went from drum brakes to disc brakes, some people were pissed. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I'm telling you, I think I, I have met people that said they preferred drum brakes back in the day because they thought disc brakes were too strong and they led to more accidents. Like they led to more people losing traction and going off the road. I think this is horseshit, but it, people people used to say that. They were like, disc brakes are too good. It's too much braking for motorcycles. You're going to fly off the bike because you can brake so hard. If anything, with the early disc brakes, they weren't good enough in the rain because they didn't have right. any holes for for the for the rain to drain through. Like well, also was... the very first disc brakes were cable operated. That's true as well. And they, they, those ge- those legitimately were worse than drum brakes. <laughs> but since hydraulic disc brakes, they've pretty much been uh, awesome. Right. But some people thought that was too much. Right. You know, this is like Douglas Adams going, well, some people even thought moving down from the trees was a bad idea. Right. (laughs) Right, Yeah. Yeah. So. So but, you know, these days now we're starting to get in places like Australia. It's mandatory that everything not only needs to have disc brakes, but it needs to be ABS. Do we necessarily agree that everything needs to be ABS? Like, I don't know that I'm totally on board with the idea that a Super Cub and a Grom need to be standard ABS. I don't mind it so much per se, but like, uh, do, do we need to go that far? I would say... I would say it's not a bad idea for anything over, say, 150 cc's to have ABS. The Grom probably doesn't need to have ABS. It's nice to have it as an option, but as a law, I don't think anything that small needs to have it. I would push it to 250. Yeah, that's actually, not even a displacement. I think I would push it to like forty horsepower. 
I don't know. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble with twenty mile with twenty horsepower. Okay, well, even tw- okay, twenty horsepower. Sure, mm. there's a lot of two fifties that are twenty horsepower and a lot of two fifties that are forty. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I can, I can go there. Twenty horsepower, ABS. Uh, okay, okay. We're starting to get there, but. As a mandatory law across the board, it still feels like a a weird thing, but that that still lets you make some like two hundred cc like eighteen horsepower cheap bike. So yeah, okay, all right. Over, you know what? Let's call it twenty five because it just feels like it's you know it's a quarter of a hundred horsepower, which is kind of that number that everyone really wants is a hundred, right? Right. If we go, to, I, I'll push it to twenty five. And say over 25 horsepower, okay, I guess I can go there. It's not egregious. I'm not 100% there, but it, it's, and it's, not that, it's not that ABS is useless under 25 horsepower, but at a certain point, it's like, we're just making cheap bikes. Do they really need to have it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I think... I think, yeah, under a certain speed or displacement, it shouldn't be required because you've really got to be fucking around to get yourself in trouble on a really small displacement bike. Well, we've only had three bikes with ABS uh, in total, and two of them have been yours. It's uh, both Moto Guzzi's and the Aprilia. Uh, the Aprilia doesn't have ABS, actually. Oh, really? I thought it did. Nope. Oh, okay. So it's really just the two Moto Guzzi's in the family. We've only had ABS, right? Yeah. And um, I think I'm almost totally convinced that the the Norge only had ABS on the front wheel. I as as because I tried to get it to fuck up on the back wheel, and I couldn't get it to do it. I it just I couldn't break hard enough and. And, and make it happen. So I think it only has it on the front wheel. It's just front wheel ABS, which is going to be a lot more effective than the back wheel. So, you know, sure. Uh, and I know that dad's dad's, but I, it's only ever come into play in situations where I've tried to make it come into play. I've never ridden on the Norge putting lots of miles on the Norge. I've ridden the Norge in the rain. I've ridden the Norge uh, when it's been snowing. I've ridden the Norge uh, in all kinds of situations. I could only make the ABS come into play when I was trying to do it. So I, I, I don't know. Okay. So let's move on to traction control. Now, this starts getting into the point where it starts making a much bigger difference for consumers. So, ABS is going to add on another couple hundred bucks to your bike. Traction control gets to a much more serious place. Because it's traction control is really still just ABS, but in a different form. It's cutting power from the motor, but microseconds at a time, just like your brake is cutting braking microseconds at a time. And uh, 
But the way that that happens, the way that that's put in, it just costs more. Well, it does, but it's it's sort of like it. Well, it, it's like building the next. Um, yeah, it's like building the next Intel processor. If you do it right, and you make it a universal unit, and you just can, you have to can just configure it for each bike. You only have to do it once. So, I feel like it's a much bigger value add since you already need an ECU for your your fuel injection bike and it's just a, such a standard part that it's really just kind of the cheapest value add you can do if you standardize it what's the least valuable bike that you think it's worth adding five hundred dollars of cost on to for traction control though uh so i don't think it's actually five hundred dollars if you do it in enough volume, but I would say any kind of 500 CC and up adventure bike, totally worth it. Uh, any kind of 650 CC kind of, um, twin sport bike, like twins cup style bike and up it's worth it. If we're talking like $500 on to MSRP. If I'm just buying a Ninja 650 for the street, I don't know that I need traction control or I necessarily want it to be more expensive to have traction control, though. I don't think I would say that for what the feature was costing five years ago. But today, I feel like it's kind of it's kind of in that range. It's like saying, oh, I don't want to buy... I don't want to buy a coupe in 1990 or like in 1985 with fuel injection. It's, it's too much cost added onto the vehicle. But today you couldn't buy a smart car with a carburetor. It'd be an insane yeah. concept. I think we're slowly drifting there now. I think it's about that point. So, so for me, the big thing that you want traction control for is rain mode is realistically the version of traction control. That is the only thing that's going to be of any actual tangible value to upwards of 90% of customers. Uh, well, there's that, but it's also going to be good for, well, as, as long as it has a dirt mode, it's going to be in, it's going to be great on any adventure bike. That's actually written that, as that, an that adventure bike. Uh, over 500 cc's on an adventure bike, I'm 100% with you, but let's take a Ninja 650. Rain mode, sure, but... I bet there's a lot of guys in the Philippines who would love to be able to push their 250 Ninja a lot harder in the rain, which is basically a full quarter of the year. Okay. There, there's a hundred days of rain in the Philippines where somebody riding a 250 Ninja would love to have traction control for a more advanced rain mode. Right. I'm just saying, like, in, in dry weather, I just don't think that traction control for most people on public roads, on nice asphalt here in the United States, 
I, I just don't think it's really a thing. I think people, you, you could accomplish a lot more by teaching people to look over their fucking shoulder and really look into the turn and just fucking lean more. The bike always has a lot more lean than you think it does. Well, everyone and, could just not be incompetent riders, for sure. Yes, right. that's always an option. Yeah, for, for, for $250 for a day of rider training at the track, you can you can get a lot more than you can out of a traction control mode on your bike. I, I do think rain mode can be nice, but... Uh, I don't know. Like I'm putting this in the context of it being a standard feature being or versus being an option that you pay more for. Right. Mm. So, so where are we with traction control as a standard feature on a bike and then adding cost versus something we're willing to pay more for? Is there a, now, if I'm buying a one liter sport bike, I want traction control. Because that's a premium bike. It should have that feature. For the money I'm spending, I should get that feature, whether I want to use it or not. Right? And potentially, maybe one day I could get good enough that I need the traction control. And it adds sec- it, it, it shaves a couple seconds off of my, my lap times. Right? But... You know, do do we want to live in a world where CBR 500s have traction control and cost a little bit more for no apparent reason? Uh, I would say no. I don't think it goes that low. Okay. A 600 Super Sports, I can get behind. But a 650 standard street bike, I don't know that it needs it. Yeah, I, I, I guess I guess I'm I'm fifty fifty on the six fifty twin. Should we go anything that's called a super sport, whether it's a six hundred four or an eight hundred twin or something? Maybe anything that's less performance than a super sport doesn't really need traction control. I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're making progress. We're making progress. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, if if I'm buying a ZX-6R Ninja, I want traction control. Uh, again, not because I particularly need it, but one day I might be able to push that bike to the point where I do need it. I mean, that bike should be recording enough data to tell you, like, how much tension is in your asshole right. on turn by turn. These days, yes, they should. So, okay. All right, what what's let's keep moving up the bike, right? We've been going from the wheels up, right? Um so this is kind of like I said, with like stuff that requires another motor or another pump or another another, you know, the very least an extra breadboard. What what what's uh what's another one that we think? Well, let's get uh, a little bit fancier in terms of luxury features. Yeah, because luxury features is kind of what we're going for. How about um, electric reverse? Ooh, this is a good one. Okay. So, I 
In the last three years, I've sampled a lot of gold wings. And reverse is really nice. Really nice. Um, so first of all, if the bike doesn't have a passenger seat, you don't need reverse. Fuck off. I don't think you can justify reverse unless the bike weighs more than like 750 pounds. I I was going to say 700. I think that's pretty close. Yeah. There is there, there I think there's a I I don't think this is a price cutoff. I think this is a weight cutoff. Yeah, this is a weight cutoff. Well, it's a weight cutoff because it's not just the weight of the bike. It's also uh, the number of times it was just so nice when I took that road trip with Claire. It was like, yeah, just jump on the bike. Well, do we need to back up? It doesn't matter. I've got reverse. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Like you're when you're putting in a thousand miles with your partner. Those your partner at a certain point doesn't want to fucking take directions from you anymore. And just being able to be like, no, don't get on the bike now. We've got to get off. Or I need, I'm going to get on the bike. Don't get on now and get in front of the bike and push it back up the hill a little bit so that we, I can turn out of here. Like that conversation through two helmets, eight hours into a day does not end well. It It does very frustrating very quickly. And Mm -hmm. just being able to be like, just get on. Everything's fine. I'll take care of it is must be the most must be worth thousands of dollars in the moment like oh i can tell you it is it is it was one of those things that if we had on we so when claire and i took that trip we borrowed cam's 89 goldwing and i'm so glad we did it on the 89 goldwing instead of the 2018 moto guzzi yeah, and the, uh, yeah, that that that's definitely fair. I mean, even compared to your, even compared to your Goldwing, which is a much more manageable bike, you know, all things considered, it's much lower to the ground for the passenger. It's the all the, the weight's a little bit lower. Well, the weight isn't really the lower adjustable down, suspension. The yeah, the 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 air suspension. Yeah, I mean, sorry, loads of bikes have adjustable suspension. The ability to adjust the air suspension from a button on the dashboard. Oh, my God. Uh, But even then, everything that would make that bike more manageable to be a better ride for two people, everything that kind of leans and simplifies everything down, is even with all the extra luggage, all the extra weight of the 89 Goldwing, all of it is canceled out by just having that electric reverse. Completely. Completely. It was magical. I, I would say if it is a full dress, I would say every full dress touring bike over 700 pounds would benefit from having a reverse gear or electric reverse off the starter. I mean, electric reverse off the starter is the way to fucking do it. Yeah. You don't need a reverse gear. But I mean, there's no reason you couldn't just have, you know, below first gear a reverse on the foot shift 
Okay. There's no reason you can't do that and clutch it out and just go. So there's lots of bikes where this would be kind of nice to have. I mean, it'd even be really nice to have it on a lot of sport touring bikes. There are times when it would be nice to have it on a Futura or a lot of taller like uh, sport touring bikes. But what? at what point do we get to absolutely ridiculous? What's the real cutoff? Let's pick it's them It's when you have the extra weight of a passenger and all their passenger luggage. That's the big difference. Because, mm-hmm. yes, okay, an 89 Goldwing weighs 800 and something something pounds, plus you, 200 pounds, plus your your partner, your girlfriend, your wife, your whatever, another 150 pounds, plus all your shit, 40 pounds, plus all her shit, 60 pounds. So it's I could envision that's when you need reverse fucking gear. So I could envision this on you know, considering it's 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 essentially maybe you need to beef up the starter motor a little bit, but it seems like it's something that's doable on a lot of bikes. It's very doable. I can see it being somewhat on the threshold on like an NC seven fifty X. Perhaps what yeah. it, what, what's what's the limit? Is this too much on, say, um, oh, what's the Kawasaki? Well, I could I could see someone doing a two-up tour on an NC750X with the helmet box, with the side boxes, with two riders, with all that stuff. I mean, we're talking about a 600-pound bike, not 750, but still, plus those two riders and everything. We're only talking really 100, 150 pounds less than the whole loaded Goldwing, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, I if you're expecting to to pull two passengers and full luggage, it's nice. It's really nice. I I mean, a lot of people say, "Well, just plan where you're going to park better," and you can. But sometimes you've just done a two hundred mile stint, and you're like, "Oh, my mind's not even." Well, you've thinking done your about- you've done your third. 200 mile sprint yeah and then you pull into a parking spot and you're like oh i'm finally going to get to take my helmet off i'm going to go to the bathroom i'm going to get a coffee you pull into a parking space and then you're like fuck yeah i'm pulled in we're, i'm downhill we're, we're down, is, yeah uh, okay sometimes it's the only parking space that's available too yeah okay so does this sound is this like is sometimes this... you're stopping for lunch at an Applebee's and the only parking space available is a downhill one. I or you're at a or you know even just a um a waffle house. Yeah. Like, yeah, it it happens. It happens to the best of us. It's nice. It's really nice. So is this, does it, this sound... It must add almost no cost because you're just adding circuitry to run the starter motor in reverse. Weirdly, it's one of those features that might be cheaper if they just put it on enough bikes. If they just Do you think decide... it's just the Honda patent that's stopping it from being on everything? It might be. What no... How can you patent running, running an, an electric, electric motor, motor in reverse? In reverse? I how don't can, know. How, you cannot patent running a three-phase motor in reverse. Absolutely not. That's an insane proposition. Unless there's some 
Well, I guarantee you Honda has patented it. It's just that no one's challenged it. I, yeah, I don't know if it would legally hold up because like I maybe maybe they just have a patent on saying if you flip a switch, the fact that the the starter It's not motor, a switch, you have to pull a lever. Right. But like is it just like on a motorcycle, if you actuate a switch, the starter motor engages and runs the bike in reverse. Like that's an absurd thing to have a patent on. And I'm sure they do have a patent on. Right, it's just no one's challenged it yet. But would it hold up? I don't think it would. I uh Okay, so would it would this be an overkill feature on say uh a Kawasaki versus 650? Is that the cutoff? I would take it on a versus 650. I w- well, uh, uh, it's weird that you said the versus 650 because the versus 650 is one of those bikes that people sort of buy and take it as a challenge to do more with it than they really should. Yeah. But I think there's people out, I think there's more people have circumnavigated the globe on a versus 650 than a KLR 650, even though a KLR 650 has more parts available for it. Right, mm-hmm. it's easier to fix in the middle of like Mumbai. The versus six fifty, I think people like versus six fifty owners just have a chip on their shoulder. Like, no, it's a real adventure bike. Fuck off, right? <laughs> yeah. You know. They- <laughs> Whereas the 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 six the the Kawasaki KLR six fifty has uh, a little bit more cred. It doesn't have like a Napoleon complex like the uh, like the. <laughs> the versus does and uh uh yeah i think i think those owners would love a reverse gear personally um it'd be a lot fancier than just having a fucking digital gear indicator yeah like i mm, it just because it's just simply running the motor in reverse Ah, it's so easy to do Uh, on this one. I'm not going to say that it's like, do people need it on smaller bikes? No, but it's so easy to do. Well, it's just, I'm going to go with that. This should be a more standard feature. Well, even if you're, even if your starter motor is bullshit and it's only enough to start a one, two, five, like there are situations where you just be like, you know what? If this could just be twenty five percent easier to like, you only walk, to need dock, the torque backwards. to go at like two miles an hour backwards. Well, not even. Well, not even that. A mile and a half, one and a half miles an hour at a backwards walk is a lot fucking faster than you think it is. Well, not only that, but just the fact that there are times when you've had to duck walk a sport bike, like when you've had to on walk, your tiptoes, on your tiptoes, and you're like. If this was just 25% easier, this would be so much nicer right now. Yeah. How many how many people have spent like 30 seconds? Because the bike only weighs 380 pounds, but you have no mechanical advantage. And it's like, and, and you just spend like 15 to 20 seconds just walking back 10 feet, and you just think, if I just had half a horsepower. Oh, it's never 15 if I, seconds. If I had Swiss, half a horsepower. We all know what the move is. The move is, okay, hold the brake, hold the clutch, 
because you, and then you, you because you need it still in first gear because what you want to do is put it in first gear, hold the clutch, hold the brake, push down on the suspension, and then use the spring back plus whatever force you have of pushing back with your toes to move you back four inches, and then you let go of all the levers so the brake and the gear both hold you right where you let it go, and then you reset, oh, no, pull yeah. in the bin, well, no, you, you, push down on the suspension again, pull back using the yeah. spring effect, and you get four yeah. more inches. And then lock the brake again. And then lock the brake again. And then you go back again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how many people have just spent like 30 seconds just trying to go back 10 feet just yeah. to get out of a parking And space. you're winded before you hit the start button. Yeah. And you're doing it with your helmet on, with your gloves on, with your jacket done yeah. up. You're already sweating inside your helmet. And you're like, let's just fucking go. I need to go. And how nice would it be if you didn't have to use the brake at all and like just inch backwards because you just you just had the motor doing even just 25% of the work for you just enough so that you could continuously tiptoe it back i can How tell nice you riding thousands of miles in that goldwing with reverse gear you never engage it unless there's a legitimate reason it you will not find yourself doing something like oh i'm at the pump ooh i want to back up into a parking space and then we'll go get some chips and pizza inside. I'll just throw it in reverse here from the pump and then go back into the oh, parking yeah, spot. You, you never do that. No, it's just like, oh, I'm in a situation where I need reverse gear. I guess I'll engage it. Oh, I'm so glad I have this now. You never think to use it like lazily. Right. It it it's it never turns you into a pansy ass rider. It's just like, oh, I'm totally going to use this thing that I have that I have use of that normally I wouldn't. I'm going right. to take advantage of it now. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I say go overboard. I say, yeah, you're right. You, let's throw reverse gear on a bunch of shit. Let's go all the way down to a CBR 500R. Uh, I'll, go CB, I'll go CB500X. Uh, Okay, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not yeah, gonna yeah. go CBR 500R. Yeah, yeah. Let's throw let's throw reverse gear on a lot more stuff. It's because it could only add forty dollars to the cost of the bike. Well, if they just decide to start putting it on everything, it's gonna be a lot less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If it's standardized, yeah, yeah. Why are we focusing on putting more TFTs on bikes instead of reverse gear? Yeah, let's let's standardize. Let, let's let's come up with an international. If I throw the biggest Honda line boxes that you can put on a CBX 500, <laughs> plus myself, plus Claire, and fill those plus a top box all the way, I could see wanting reverse gear. Yeah, I I mean yeah. What we should be thinking is, um... oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, it doesn't matter. No. <laughs> okay. All right. So that was a good one. Rever yeah. I hadn't thought about reverse gears. One of those sort of extraneous. Um, so we're going to get like pretty ridiculous with these. Um, let Let's get more low hanging fruit out of the way. Uh, so the the TFT. I'm not going to say just TFT. I'm going to say TFT plus full infotainment system. 
Okay. So we've done a lot of complaining about the TFT screen and the full infotainment system on bikes. We've complained about right to repair issues around it. We've complained about needless complexity. Having said all that, a modern Goldwing should have all that shit. Yeah. A full-on Harley-Davidson Electroglide CVO should have all that shit. GS, BMW GS1250 Adventure? Yeah, I want that shit. If I'm paying that kind of money for this for that kind of bike, I fucking want that, right? And and sure, let's uh let's go there for the uh for the KTM, you know, 1290 adventure and um you know, a bunch of other things, right? At what point is it is it too much, right? So is it is it a price point? Is it a size point? Is it uh, an intended use point? Like what? Where is our line? So on I the would, full infotainment system, I would look at this as um, this is a. The, I think this is somewhat um, very much a maintenance point. If you look at like a um, <clears throat> a BMW. GS eleven fifty. That is still a perfectly serviceable bike that will do all the things you want it to do. The parts are still moderately easy to get. I mean, you're paying a premium, so it is still a BMW if anything goes wrong. But it's a largely reliable bike, and it kind of does. It'll it'll just keep doing the things that it does. You know, pretty much forever. Or at least for the next, you know, 15 to 20 years. It'll just keep going and doing its thing. What you really don't want is a new bike that's just going to be dead in 10 years. Because the TFT display for it is model and year specific. And they stop making it five years after they stop making they start they stop making that well we're, we're getting into our old complaints about tfts i'm mm. saying forget all that if you are going out today like mm-hmm. if if tomorrow you were headed to the honda dealership to buy a 2023 goldwing and it didn't have a tft infotainment display you would feel ripped off you're paying the same price that everyone else is, but you don't have it. You'd be like, well, this is bullshit, right? So it clearly, I'm, well, I'm, there's I'm a weird a pla- person, so I don't know well, if that really... But if you don't well, yeah, have, you and in- I both took a one-hour... Te- you and I have both taken multiple test rides on the yeah. new Goldwing, and we still have yet to touch the, the, the car play or the info, you know. But that's... But yes, we're weird people. Mm. But I would be pissed... If I had one that didn't have that, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. And a Goldwing we've discussed is a bike that should have over-the-top amenities. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Right? That's what the Goldwing is. It's the top of the line, right? It's the Titanic that never sunk. And so 
what where do we draw the line? What kind of bikes are we happy paying the premium to have that on? And where aren't we, right? Because, you know, last week we were talking about the CMX 1100T, and it doesn't have that. But that was kind of part of its strength. It was like, well, it's a bagger, but it it's a more basic bagger, yet it still has the DCT and, and other things. And it has things on the dash, but it's not the full on fancy because mm-hmm. you know it's under it's under twelve grand. Like it's I'm or eleven big, grand. It's... I'm a real big fan of like the Mister Game and Watch LCD display. I am too. I I yes, I am too. But I'm saying, <sighs> I think we can both agree that sport bikes have no need for this nonsense. Absolutely, yes. A lot of people, I think sport bikes have had this nonsense since 2017 because they have so many rider modes and adjustments and clocks and and ti- and lap timers and things. And people love messing with fueling settings and other, every setting they can on the bike from the dashboard. I think you can just do it all from a phone app. Yeah, just sell, like, don't even put Bluetooth on it. Just sell a cable with the bike like tell us sell a cable make with it the- make it like mom and dad subaru where it's straight up local wi-fi or like, just, like the bike itself is a little mini hotspot. it doesn't go to any real internet but you you wi-fi just, connect to or it. just when you buy the bike just be like do you have an android or an iphone and here's the cable to connect your phone to your bike and yeah here's a USB-C app. to the bike Boom. Yeah. Or here's a lightning cable to the bike, and here's how, and here's the app you download. Make it HDMI micro. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, just anything's better than a TFT display. Make it mini USB type B. I don't fucking care. (laughs) Who fucking cares? But yeah, like, just. I'll see your HDMI micro, sir, and raise you. But yeah, no, like, yeah, something that'll work with a phone and a laptop and just be like, yeah, here's the software to do it. Just whatever. Um, okay, so, yeah, I think that, I think that makes a lot, I, yeah, I, I I think it makes sense for the market. It's not for me, but I, I think it's, it's There reasonable. are clearly bikes that should have it because they're over-the-top bikes. Mm. But... As more and more, as we start getting into having these things on middleweight bikes, do we think it's worth it? I don't know. So this this should remain a top of the line feature. Yeah, I think there's there's like the KTM eight something, like touring or adventure bikes are kind of like where it is. Not the not the baby bikes, not the mid level, but like the just below, like big adventure tourings you can go one tier below like the 1260 and like that's that's kind of where it is like one maybe maybe even one liter and up i have another interesting angle on this as as electric as electronics become cheaper as we care less about horsepower we also still need something to aspire to if we just put all this shit on everything, we'll run out of things to aspire to. 
And as much as it might seem frustrating that you don't own your dream car, you'd be surprised how disappointing it is to own your dream car. Oh, look, it, if it's everyone... kind of nice to have features that you don't have. Look, if every if every single Camry that was ever produced was magically transformed with a snap of your fingers into a Ferrari F200, the world would be in crisis. Well, like <laughs> everything would break down every 500 yeah. miles, but uh, the amount of like economic, like the amount of labor hours that would be lost would be monumental. Like, <laughs> yeah, you think you want a 69 Pontiac GTO, but you would much rather have your 2014 Honda Pilot with its Bluetooth connectivity. Trust me. What's the dog eating? What's he doing? Um, he's eating a guitar um, key turner. Eric, stop. Okay, that's better. <laughs> oh, it's a it's a string winder. Yeah, got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, get over here. <sighs> okay. All right, so let's move on. Uh, so I think we've settled that on TFT displays. It should really just be your luxury liner bikes. Yeah. And I, I think, again, we've shit on TFT displays, but a Goldwing should have it. A 1290 Adventure should have it. A GS1250 should have it. Um, yeah, anything that you would kind of, yeah, put into that luxury liner kind of high-end, you know, 100 plus, 110 plus horsepower, big torque, you know, 1800 cc's and up. Actually, I'll call it 1300 cc's and up, like big tourer should have it. After that, nah, you know, whatever, you know. Um, and I'm not going to talk about whether it includes speakers or not, because speakers is kind of irrelevant these days. Okay. Well, it's also a feature set that is mostly exceeded by just having a Bluetooth helmet unit. Exactly. All right. Let's let's start getting really high tech now. Like let's start getting semi futuristic. Um let's talk crash avoidance systems. Okay. At what point would you want to pay for or feel justified in having a crash avoidance system? Uh, how advanced are we talking? Are we talking... Tables open. It's not a standard yet. So, well, it depends. If we're talking about just, like, 2010's car level, where it's just... Oh, it it realizes you're about to run into a brick wall or a car stopped in front of you, and it just automatically applies the. Let's brakes? say lane merge up to that level. Oh, so it can swerve out of the way. Uh, I don't know if it swerves out of the way, but at least it says like, "Hey, you're about to like merge into someone. Like, fuck off. Like, it at least beeps at you." Oh, okay. Um. 
Hmm. Because otherwise you're talking into self-driving capabilities, which is we're not onto yet. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to leave any, any, well, I think we can still just say, let's say automatic braking, automatic braking only, but it's not going to steer for you. It's not going to swerve for you. And with automatic braking, I'll also include, um, uh, uh, speed matching. Okay. Yeah. That's Cause they're reasonable. part of the same thing. You can't yeah, really yeah. have one without the other. Okay. So for that, I would say, uh, well, if you're saying that, then you're also kind of just for free kind of getting dynamic cruise control. Yeah, that's so, yeah, the speed match and dynamic cruise control, lane okay. merging. I would look at that as quite a premium feature. Um I think you could you could throw eight hundred dollars at that. I would say any bike just around the, the fifteen thousand dollar level should do that. Yeah, I agree. But I you know, a lot of this is like still protecting like sort of the the ability of the market to have cheap bikes for new riders. Mm. You know, that that's a lot of what my thing about these these features are. It's not that I think they're completely worthless. It's that we should still be able to have just basic motorcycles. Yeah. So, a lot of it has to do with that what price points. And I and and for for lane merging like warning signs for dynamic cruise control for um yeah true cruise control for all those kind of things fifteen thousand dollars kind of feels like every bike at that point should have it yeah i think so i well, i would go down I mean, maybe not if it's like a hyper specialized sport bike or something, but for, but you know, as a general rule of thumb, you know, I would say maybe like a Tracer 900 should probably have that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's kind of about the cutoff. It doesn't need to be the most premium flagship touring bike, but the, the kind of semi premium ones should. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go a little more high tech. Um, what else did we have on our list, Wiggs? Uh, I'm not sure. We're approaching two hours and we're into the whiskey now. So, <laughs> um, fuck it. Let's, let's just, let's just go real big. Let's go real big. Let's go with something that is technically possible, but it's not a feature yet. Let's get into the future, right? Okay. Let's go for um let's go for I'm I'm gonna split this into two different parts of self-driving. So let's just go for straight on fully autonomous self-driving mode. Okay. We know it's possible. Every major company has a self-riding motorcycle prototype, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's complained about it. Everyone's like, oh my God. Actually, wait, hold on. I'm going to back up. I'm going to back up. I'm going to back up. Sorry. Before we go self-driving, um, I said crash avoidance with like the lane merge and everything. 
before we do that, we need to go to actual crash avoidance. Well, actually, there's a feature we missed. What's that? Power steering. <gasps> um, I guess that's a little bit more specific. I think, I think that's kind of incorporated it. into the self-driving, though, because okay, no yeah, one yeah. actually needs power steering on a bike. Well, I think the only the only application we've heard of about this theoretically is for um, for dirt bikes, just to have narrower handlebars. Right. I, think, I guess that's really the only. That's more like a military bike kind of thing. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. We we can skip that. Yeah, it's it's an interesting angle. Maybe we'll circle back to that. But I, I'm going to say like actual crash avoidance. Like you're going to turn into another lane, and then the bike grabs the handlebars and turns it over for you. So this is not full self driving. This is the bike goes. You're about to seriously fuck up. I'm going to take over for three seconds, and then here we go. I don't even know if that works. It can. It does. There's the. I, well, mean, I, I just mean it from the perspective of like if you're shifting your weight and leaning and you're bracing in a particular direction and then the bike suddenly does something completely different out from under you. I don't know if that's even safe or productive. It's better than a guaranteed crash. Perhaps, but if it had, but if like, it just if you have these bikes on the market, and then just like in fifteen out of twenty cases, like you're just fucked anyway because you really need to know what you're doing, and if you can't anticipate what the bike is going to do, you're going to fall off anyway. Okay, then maybe we need to just incorporate this into just a full self-driving mode. Then mm. maybe we just need to skip to there then. Like, a, a bike with a full self-driving mode. Is there a situation in which you think it's even worth it at all? I can think of two cases. Okay. One is for valet service. I'm also in big favor of this, but... <laughs> But okay, tell me your other one. So valley, well, valley service in terms of like showing up somewhere and just having your bike park somewhere. Like if you can pull, like even if you're just commuting to work, but your bike knows where it should park in like a a parking garage somewhere, and it can navigate it all by itself, and the payment for it to go park there is all automated or scanned or whatever. The biggest thing is with is with hotels. Yeah. It would not be hard at all. Hotels are already bending over backwards to put in electric charging stations and stuff. It would not be hard at all for hotels to put sensors in their parking lot to help direct vehicles up to the front door of the hotel. So even if we're not talking about the bike navigating its way to the front of the hotel or a parking spot on its own... It could do it with the help of sensors in the hotel parking lot because hotels are, I'm telling, I worked in the hotel industry for a long time. They are bending over backwards for all this stuff. Like any way to make themselves competitive. 
Hotel rooms have not gotten any nicer or better for a long time, and they are fighting at the margins for ways to 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 get business. Like a lot of people aren't willing to pay or care about the points for breakfast or or whatever. They don't give a shit. They're like, oh, you've got an ergonomic office chair. Big fucking whoop, right? They don't care about sleep number beds, but if your place, if you're, if you have electronic vehicle charging, or if you have faster Wi-Fi, or if you have a system that's better for people's self-driving vehicles, that's an edge for them. And yeah, I, I it would be. I, we've talked about. We haven't talked about this for a long time, but it is a pain in the ass to stay at a nice hotel on your motorcycle. Yeah. In almost every conceivable way, it is better to stay at a roach motel on your motorcycle. Just for the virtue of being able to park your motorcycle 10 feet from the door. Uh, That's a big one. Uh, But there are other reasons too. I, I, I don't know what episode we talked about it, but I had like 40 minutes on why it's a pain in the ass. It's not just being able to park close to the door. It's a lot of different things, but, um, but that is a big one. That is, that is 50% of the reason right there. And yeah, a valet button. Like, because again, the self-driving button isn't for like some asshole to sit on it and hit the valet and the the actual valet driver parks it, right? It's, it's the bike's its own valet, right? This is a limited, this is limited in how nice and useful it is, right? Because part of motorcycling is just dealing with the way the world used to be instead of how it is now. So I have, I do have a much more practical application. Okay. Vetter streamliner. For self-driving. If you're going to do long stretches, even just having lane assist on your motorcycle, if you can sit a little bit further back, if you've got, more back support if you can let go of the controls a little bit put a bit more of a bucket seat on it and just have some much more casual miles if you're doing i-25 from pueblo all the way to the new mexico border or if you're just crossing kansas on i-70 how nice would it be to just kind of be able to zone out a bit for 300 miles. So what you're talking about is the return of the Niracar model. Uh, to a degree, yeah, yeah. I don't think we're that far away from that vehicle that's in between a car and a motorcycle anymore. We're kind of getting approaching that time where that model, like it, that it's time may be coming. Because if you... We should do an episode on half car, half motorcycles. There are some interesting examples. I I can think off the top of my head of like 15 different 
uh, models of note. Uh, seriously. And I would even kind of uh, put a lot of micro cars into this, like the Measure Schmidt and stuff. Okay, yeah. You know, or the BMW Izetta and stuff like there's a lot in that half car half mo- the reliant robin kind of there's a okay. lot of three wheel stuff and a lot of two wheel stuff in that half car half motorcycle world and maybe self driving helps bridge that gap Yeah, to a degree, I think so. Okay, so before we went to self-driving, we skipped over a really big one. DCT. Mm, okay, so... So so Honda has brought down the cost of DCT to a little under $500. And they've just released one new model that is DCT only, and they've now made the Goldwing. DCT only also. Well, that may be mostly a supply issue. But. I hope <laughs> I hope it's mostly a supply issue. Otherwise, my new favorite bike is a 2020 or 2021 Goldwing, not the most modern Goldwing. Yeah. Um uh, I'm trying to think what was a I think most, almost, I think most bikes should have a DCT option. I'm trying to think of, I mean, this is well, a, it's a Honda only technology. So we have to narrow it to the scope of Honda for now, but presumably when this idea catches on other manufacturers yeah. will go for it. I'm trying to think what's the smallest bike that I wouldn't want to see that I, that I would think that we DCT can agree would. a Grom doesn't need a DCT. I think yeah, that's pretty obvious. Um, would it go on a CBR three hundred R or a CBR three or a CB three hundred R? I feel like that's... I think it would in like a three speed model. Well, no, but... they're always pl- they're always an extra gear, so it would be a six or a seven speed model. So it's, I... it's just going to be changing gear so often. Uh, that's that's the beauty of it that's why it's so good is that you don't have to change the gears i know but it's going to be so fucking busy all the time i feel like it's something that needs a little bit more power otherwise you're constantly changing gear and then losing performance no the whole point of the dct when you've only got it changes so quickly that you don't lose performance it performs like an automatic that's the whole point of it I I'm just wondering. I could see it on a CBR 500R. I don't want to. I don't want to see this on less than six six hundred CCs. I think the the 500R is reasonable. You think? Yeah. Okay. Uh well, I guess the Rebel 500 DCT would be attractive to a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of new riders. A lot of people that are just like, hey. I don't have to prove how manly and hardcore I am to ride a motorcycle. I would just like a very mid-sized motorcycle. And the the cost is I think if you look at the cost now of adding DCT to a model, it's like $481. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, if it's if it's a model that has a- like on the Honda website, if you go like, oh, what is this model versus the DCT model? They're just like, yeah, it's like yeah, plus four hundred and eighty one or something. Yeah. They tell you the exact. They have like a weirdly specific dollar amount that they put on. Yeah, I, as long as as long as you're riding, yeah, if you're riding a bike, I mean, it should be on every bike as long as you have a motor that has that has already been adapted for it, then it should be there. 100%. Well, here's the question we have to ask as a result is, does riding a DCT make you less of a rider? Only if you've never ridden a not, only if you've never ridden a manual, I would say. So you would say as long as you pass as long as you pass the MSF course on a manual bike, go for the DCT. But otherwise, you can't just go straight to a DCT. Yeah, I, I would say that's fair. I mean, I think you should own one non-DC. You should at least own one non-DCT bike at some point. I agree. But, but um, no, if you, if you pass... Honda's dream is that we just go all DCT and as many people as possible ride bikes. Mm-hmm. Just know <laughs> that's Honda's dream. I mean, if you if I was to compare two riders and say who was more air quotes legit, I would still care more about mileage than I would care about whether it was on a DCT or not. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So let's get to the last one. And this is the one that really got me thinking about this. So Yamaha has recently announced that it has a full, not full, but a, a driverless bike system. And this shouldn't really shock everyone. Uh, BMW, Honda, Yamaha, Kawasaki, uh, pretty much everyone but Suzuki, and maybe even Suzuki did. You know, it, uh, in the last couple of years, they've all had some sort of system where a bike was going around a track on its own, Right. In Yamaha's case, it was a, a robot that rode the bike for it. In BMW and Honda's case, the bikes drove themselves, right? Kawasaki had something else. It was no big deal. And everyone was like, oh, my God, you can't have a bike ride itself. That's like, that's like the bike's got no soul. What are you talking? What if a bike, if a bike's riding itself, you're not riding the bike. So you're not a bike, right? You know, there's a big moral panic. There was a moto moral panic around all these companies having bikes that could ride themselves, right? And it turned out to be of no worry whatsoever because these companies had almost had no intention of of releasing bikes that could ride themselves. One, because they knew people wouldn't buy them, but two, the only reason they developed these systems to begin with was for motorcycle testing purposes. Wouldn't it be nice if you could lay down a, um, uh, like 10 laps with a test rider and record those. And instead of have those, that rider put in all those miles over and over and over again, a machine could do it over and over and over again and test different tires and different, 
fuel mappings and different whatever over the same track, over the exact same conditions over and over again. Wouldn't that be great? Yes. So that's why they developed all those systems. However, Honda very quietly, like a year and a half ago, and now Yamaha have a system that is specifically for slow riding. And not even where the bike can ride itself, where it can in the Honda situation, but in the Yamaha situation, it is for keeping the bike upright and stable at low speeds. And it's specifically for avoiding low speed tip overs, not even crashes, tip overs. And I think this is actually sort of on the level of reverse gear where it's like, oh my God, the bike can ride itself. Moral panic. Well, hold on. This is something we might all actually want, right? Because the system is, first of all, nowhere near as complicated as you think it is. It is a bar that shakes back and forth, keeping the bike stable. And it will shift itself a little bit further left or right every time it goes back and forth to keep the whole thing upright. I mean, essentially... That's really it. Essentially, it's an electronic steering damper that can move independently as opposed to just damping. Right. And uh, that's it. That's really it. That's all there is to it. It's not super complicated. This is well. I mean, you still have to have other traditional components. Like you, you need have to to have, have an IMU yeah. and some other things. But I mean, it's really not that complicated. Yeah, you've got to have like a steering position sensor and a bunch of other things. But yeah, right. it's, it's we're talking like dollars per component. It's where really the design. But how much but yeah. money would you pay for a device that would keep the bike? perfectly stable and upright and then you could put a ramp on the back of your pickup truck and then for the throttle by wire just very gently turn the handlebars and with one hand be able to load a bike into your pickup truck because it can self-balance i could pay some money for that how much money would you pay for not when you come to a stoplight, not having to balance the bike at all, just being able to sit there, not even have to put your feet down and just sit there, you know, on most rides, you wouldn't want to engage it. But what if it was a 400 mile day and you're like, I'd rather just sit here. It's kind of nice. I don't know. Uh, we thought of like 10 or 12 different great. Um, what if you're a motorcycle dealer and you have to move a shit ton of bikes every day? How nice would how it often, be to yeah, move these did... bikes with one hand around the shop? Yeah, if you're if you're in a small town, you know, if you're if you if you're just running a motorcycle dealership and you've just got a bunch of 19-year-olds who have to move like mass have to move these flagship like like cv if you if you're at a harley dealership and you've got to get like 19 to 25 year olds moving cvos out of the warehouse like out of the garage and out in front of the dealership every day and how many times does a bike move before it gets sold and 
how many trips does it take before somebody dumps a $20,000 motorcycle? How yeah. nice would it be if how every nice one of those bikes just spend $400 nope. on a feature that keeps the bike upright at low speeds so you never have to pay $2,000 for a bike being knocked over? Yeah. Or how about this? You go and you park your bike in a gravel parking lot. And when you walk three feet away from it, the bike has an IMU that goes, Hey, I'm going to sink into the dirt. I'm not stable. And so you know, to turn around and go park that bike somewhere else before you leave it because it's self-balancing feature said, Hey, we're not cool right here. What if your bike, you save yourself $2,000. What if your bike can just tell you, Hey, I am sinking at a 60th of an inch per second. And in 20 minutes, I'm going to fall over. Yep. So you should reposition me or put me on the center stand. Or press a button to ignore me. Whatever you want. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't, you you, you think you're good, but this is not good. I, I need a puck or I need something. Yeah, just something that could just detect and be like, hey. This is not going to work out. It seems like the dumbest feature in the world, but self-balancing at low speed might be the new reverse gear. Yeah. Might be worth it in more ways than traction control, more than lane assist, more than dynamic cruise control, more than... Uh, uh, phone connectivity more than speaker systems more than ABS low speed self-balancing might be the feature I've been waiting for for a long time it would actually be amazing in traffic yeah just to be able to sit on your bike and not have to put your feet down and up and down and up in stop and go traffic, especially since we don't have fucking lane splitting in this country. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be so nice. So nice. Or like, uh, imagine, I mean, we can keep going. There's so many reasons. This being, is a good like, if one. If being stuck in traffic in like Denver or St. Louis on a motorcycle could be made as only as tedious as being stuck in a car would make so many big motorcycle trips so much more pleasant mm-hmm. just to take that stress away Yeah, of having to constantly feather the clutch and balance yourself and then you know in and out in and out throttle clutch first gear neutral second gear over and over and over again if like if you had a dct and it was self-balancing yeah, I just and think you had about reactive that thing where it's control. like hey i've just done an 800 mile day and i'm just getting off my bike to go park it somewhere you know i'm like i'm weak you know, my my legs haven't had as much blood flowing through them as I should have. Or honestly, and if you're just, if you if just, there's a button to press for a parking mode to just move it easily because I'm especially worn out. If we're all honest with ourselves, we've put down or 
half put down a bike at the end of a long day, if we're honest with ourselves, we've fucking done it. Or what if you just want to own a hyper motard, but your inseam is two inches shorter than the seat height of the bike? Yeah, this would eliminate seat height like problems. Or at the very least, if your toes do touch the ground, you don't have to do that thing where like, oh my gosh, I'm stressing all my weight on my toes to keep this bike up. Or I can just do this with my toes instead of doing the thing where I put one foot flat on the ground and then like put my knee over the the seat of the bike and then have to jump back up onto it when I go. It's. I, I, yeah. It's all been kind of building to this that I it seems like a completely ridiculous tech advent like you know add on to a bike. But it's just another gyroscope essentially. It's not that complicated. It's not that futuristic. It's not that expensive. And I think it has a lot more payoffs than all the other tech things that we've gone through. I think it's solid. I think any conceivable, anything, any bike that conceivably would be tour would be toured should have. Okay. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I'm calling this a success. We will do more. We should call this. Well, no, we, we should call this episode done, but we're going to do two more emails and then we're going to call it done. Okay. Uh, okay, so because Swigs, we have to read the emails drunk, and now we're drunk. Fair. Okay, <laughs> it's a uh, law. I swear to God, it is. All right, let's do. Oh, this is from Eric. And he says, uh, the, the, the subject is best worst tracer seven, a detail on the tracer that was missed a big reason. Nobody talks about and likely a reason it doesn't fit consumer needs in the U S is because it's not sold in the U S fair. Uh, Wait, the tracer seven isn't sold in the U S uh, the Tracer 7, as in the Tracer based off of the, um, what's the fancy off adventure Yamaha 700, the, oh, the Tenere. Yeah. The, the Tracer made off, based off the, the Tenere, yes. Uh, and it says, also, I figured I'd take the opportunity to introduce myself. I'm Eric and hail from your neighbor state in utah like many others i was turned onto your pod from bruce phillip i've listened to most of this year's episodes and i'm working through the backlog or past uh the backlog of past episodes currently are around number 100 late 2019 another hero god damn Love the scooter content. I started on scoots myself when my dad bought a 50... And he loves the scooter content. Hold (laughs) on. Is this my new favorite listener? (laughs) He says, uh, I started on scoots myself when my dad bought a 50cc Yamaha Vino to save on gas. (laughs) To save on gas circa 2007. It was the summer after I graduated high school, and I rode it all over and got hooked. I currently own 
a 2016 uh, KTM Duke 390 and a 2021 uh, Himalayan. Okay. And this past spring, my wife picked up a Navi and started riding it to work. Well, she must be the only person who's not a male over 75 that owns a Navi. Uh, I ride year-round, though I slow down quite a bit in the winter months. I work weekends. Yeah, you'll have that in Utah, yeah. yeah. I work weekends, which means that I have weekdays free to ride the popular roads with little no traffic. It's glorious. And he can lane split in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Living the dream. Oh, okay. Eric. Eric, Eric, Eric. Okay. (sighs) I didn't do it this last year. Because I was just, there was so much going on with moving houses and everything. But next year, I'm going, well, I'll say this. So every, so Swigs, you know that every year I do, uh, uh, well, not every year, but the last few years, I've done an iron butt by myself. And I usually go from Fort Collins to Salt Lake City down to Denver as a 1,000 mile loop. Mm-hmm. It's not a complete loop, but pretty close. And uh, I've done it enough times. I think this next year I'm going to do it. And my added thing this next year is I'm going to do it without my phone. So I don't know if I'm going to just listen to local radio off of my Bluetooth headset or I might even go complete silence. Sony Walkman. <laughs> no, no, I'm seriously thinking, like, I think it's worth, mm-hmm. we've done a lot of iron butts, and we've done a lot of iron butts without radio or TV, and we've done them like, it's TV, you know, podcasts. Um, we've done them like just talking. Um, but I think there's something to the whole idea of iron butt just radio silence just you with your own thoughts like let's take this back to you know the way the iron butt association started when you just had to write it no heated grips no nothing just just boom you and the bike i kind of want to do an iron butt that way but i'm good enough at doing iron butts these days I've proven I can take a four hour break in the middle to just hang out in Salt Lake City. I did it on my last iron butt. So Eric, well, well, let's connect at the at the very least. We're we're gonna meet up at some place in uh, in Salt Lake City for, for a couple hours next time I do this. All right. Let's do one more email and then we'll then we'll uh, call this one good. Okay, I gotta find there. There are some good ones, but let me see. They're all good. Are they? They are. Okay. These are people that have just decided to listen to us talk for hundreds of hours, and then on top of that, decided to send us emails to either supply us with content. Or just make us feel better about what we're doing. They're mm. all good swigs. Um. Uh, okay, so 
Oh, we did have a we did have Eric uh, messages again and show even this. better. Uh, well, this one is this is much shorter, and we we can link this in the show notes. Um, he did send us an Instagram post of people um, jousting on hunter cubs. Oh, can we throw this up on the TV here? I think we can because I need to see this. Are these new hunter cubs or old ones? Oh, these new. are old ones. Excellent. Um, oh, this is oh we got some Bob Seeger in the background here. Fantastic. Well, he's on a CL90, it looks like. Old Hondas, but yes. Was the other guy on a CL90 as well? Uh, I can't really see. They're both small, cheesy bikes. Yeah. I love scooter jousting. It's an underrated sport. It's, it's wonderfully both. It's, it's the perfect amount of no stakes and high risk. I think the next time that we go to vintage motorcycle days, we need to get, two lengths of pvc pipe with some huge like foam padded ends yeah uh, and and we'll just start people scooter jousting on whatever vehicles they want they'll just be there for whoever wants to scooter joust right so just like you know like in the dark night the joker breaking the pool cue and leaving it on the table. It's exactly like that. It's <laughs> well, no different. It's exactly <laughs> like, that. like Hey, we've got some jousting poles for anyone who wants them. Well, <laughs> uh, is it that much different than the beer can slalom challenge? Well, the beer the beer can slalom ca- uh, challenge, although it frequently uh, features crashes doesn't necessitate them so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i uh the beer can slalom challenge uh it's it's too much to go into into what that is (laughs) but um okay so let's close this episode out this has been a good one i feel good about this episode I mean, it's probably one of our worst, but I feel good about it. I don't know about you. Uh, at the end here, I want to say a couple things. Um, so remind everyone, episode 200 is coming up. Give us, if you've got made-up motorcycle names, if you've got things that we should defend in the MCLU game, uh, what other games do we do? Uh, there's like two more. I can't think of them because I'm drunk. I can't either. Okay. Uh, well, if you have if you have motorcycle names, content, or suggestions for any of the other games that we do, send those also. If you have worst moments or least favorite or just generally bad examples of broadcasting from the show, give us episodes and timestamps for those, and we'll play them. Uh, if you just happen to want to fund... For a hundred bucks, a commercial for the show, we'd be very much into that and would appreciate it. No pressure, just throwing it out there on that one. 
And there was something else I wanted to talk about, but I can't remember right now. And it had to do with listener interactions. It didn't have anything to do with Patreon. It had something to do with something. It doesn't matter. I'll remember next week when I'm, you know, not as intoxicated. But here we go. This has been episode 197 of the Nokomoto podcast. And look at this. You made it to the end. What a hero you are. All right, Swigs. You ready to go out on this one? Let's do it. All right. Let's. Oh, shit. The sound effects app did its thing. Here we go. Oh, not quite. We're getting there. We're getting there. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motor side. Mm -hmm, Cold.